and welcome back to Behind the Pros, a theatre podcast all about the real lives of the people who make it. And on episode eight of Behind the Pros, we talk to one of my theatre mentors, director, actor and TV advert star Ian Good. We talk about sneaking into the Theatre Royal Newcastle as a child, bounty kitchen roll adverts, working with young performers at drama colleges around the world, immersive theatre in Abu Dhabi, and producing new work in Australia. Enjoy! So we first met each other at uh, Arts Ed. We did. And you were telling me about sex and tax and all the important things in life. Right, oh, yes, that's true. Have you always enjoyed teaching and working with students? Um, I didn't at first because I didn't, um, I didn't really know what they wanted. Wherever college you work in, it's their bubble. Right. So, and I used to say things, well, in the business, and then I realised about five years down the line, is in the business, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> it's what's happening now. It's what's happening now, and it's their bubble, and their bubble is really important to them. And, and I think you've got to acknowledge their bubble, you know, and it's, it's really strange because I keep in touch with not everybody, but quite a lot of students uh, from various courses. Because bear in mind, I've, I've taught at about five different drama schools over the year and still do. And you find their bubble is very different to them. So, for example, I directed um, a company at Guildhall. Mm. And their bubble is very, very, very different from the bubble at Arts or the bubble at Mountview, where I, I worked for nearly 20 years doing directing shows there. Yeah. And Arts, actually. I did 18 years there. And... Um, all of that was different. I think what was important to me during that time and what I think I can give to the students is I was still working professionally while that was happening as a director but also as a performer to a certain certain degree. But I do find sometimes that that's brilliant but you've got to learn that it's about the students and not about you. So where did um, it all begin for you? Did you where did you train and um, how I did. did it start? How did well start? But it was many years before that. Um, I had a, quite a difficult relationship with my family, and because I had a quite difficult relationship with my family, my escape was the Newcastle Theatre Royal, and I saw everything there, both um, legitimately and naughtily. In, in in what way that is is any money I used to get, I used to spend on the Theatre Royal, and it was much cheaper then. So, for example, during a panto season, I'd say the panto five or six or seven times. Wow. And what I'd do is I'd leave the house at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, I'd go and see the matinee, then I'd hide in the toilets and go and see the evening show so, in the gallery. So how old were we at this point? 11. And that you, you used to get the bus or walk into town? I used to walk into town, because I used to live in a place called Shieldfield, which was very, very close to the centre. So I used to do that. But I, it wasn't just pantos. Everything, absolutely everything. And on a Monday night, it used to be two for one. <laughs> and I used to go along to those. Later on, when I, I was skint, what I used to do is, I, I had a very close friend then, and uh, we used to get the two for one. And then... Um, if he didn't want to go and see somebody, I'd say, oh, he's got the tickets and I haven't got the tickets. Would you mind if I... And they used to let me in because they used to know me. So it, I know that's awful, but it was the only way I could do it at 11 and 12. So at 11 and 12, I was seeing things like uh, the Dame of Sark. Wow. And, uh, oh, the Norman Conquest. And then I used to go hang around the stage door and meet the people. Not because I wanted autographs, because I just thought autographs were a waste of time. But... Just to talk to them and excited about them. And I used to ask them questions. And there used to be a place opposite called the Sandwich Boutique. <laughs> and um, I used to go and sit in the Sandwich Boutique. And um, 
they would come in there because it was a sandwich, and I'd say, "Oh, I've just seen you. I've really enjoyed it." You know, how did you? And I used to talk about how they got into it, yeah. why they got into it, how, what, how they were finding the tour, how, and that sort of became a haven for me. Really, what was it that made you feel that those were your your kind of people? I don't know about the kind of people, but I know that when I was in there, I could forget about the awful situation I was in. Don't get me wrong, it wasn't abusive or anything like that, Not nothing like that. But it was just, you know, it was just um, a difficult time. Um, so what I used to do is I used to go to the theatre and that used to be it. But I used to be dead boring in go the on. sense that I used to love it all. But I used to think, oh, that set could be a bit better there. And, <laughs> oh, why did she say that so quickly? And oh, why are they laughing a little bit when that's happening? And all that. And it was very, very funny because years and years and years and years, there's a fantastic guy who I love called Tudor Davis. Mm. And he now runs lanes, and he's the most phenomenal guy. And uh, it's funny we had this conversation when I uh, met him again when we were on a, um, something about pantos for First Family. He was in a show called Cowdy Custard, and I met him at the stage door, and he took the mick out of me because I was this fat little lad who you know wanted was really interested in theatre, but obviously not not as wonderful as he was, and. Um, Yes, but I remembered that they took the and, and I confronted him with it when I was nearly fifty, <laughs> and um, he said, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so I, I can't remember that. I can't remember that." I said, "No, you can't." But I remember it word for word. Yeah, and it's funny since then. Well, long before that, I realised that what you say and what you do is difficult. Now, now you're always going to upset somebody. You can't be everybody else's favourite. Mm. But people do remember what you say. People people bring it up all the time. So how did you get from watching things at the Theatre Royal to being on the stage yourself? I had two drama teachers, one called Derek Stevens uh, and one called Chris Heckles. Um, And I hated school. I hated it. You know, I did okay. I got all the qualifications and all that, you know, my GCSEs, they were then. Yeah. And Um, (laughs) O-levels. And A-levels. But I did all that. Um, But um, Derek and uh, Chris were just absolutely fabulous. And they just um, sort of pushed me and pushed me and pushed me and and realised that there was something there I wanted to do, really. But I was always more interested in directing than I was interested in acting. Right. Uh, But the acting... I enjoyed. I could forget all those things. Then a woman called... Um, oh, this is all very strange talking about this. <laughs> Diane Howard uh, came along. And she was amazing. She was absolutely amazing. And, and so were Chris and Derek. But it was Diane who solidified everything and just said, um, well, go. Do something about it. Where Chris and Diane, you know, um, Chris and uh, Derek would say, well, it's lovely. And if, you know, that's really very nice or other. But and then once I was talking to Diane, just said, "I would really like to go to drama school and all that, but obviously I can't." I said, "Why not?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, like, a, I can't afford it. B, you know, they don't have people like me." They said, "Why not?" And um, I said, "Well, what about the money?" She said, "Well, try this, try this, try this, try this, and you should do this, do this, do this, do this." And it was because of her I really put, pushed on with it. Is that where you're? Because I I am following in your footsteps in terms of always asking questions and I like to think in the way that I direct bits and bobs I, I do similar to you it's it's nowhere near your standard but it just it's it's something I've taken on do you think that questioning and saying why not why can't you do this why can't you do that comes from Diane a lot of it does and also it's because I don't know all the answers and some directors think, oh, well, I know everything. And this is one. <laughs> and I don't. So I say, why? Why, why not? Why, why is this? Why is it? Because I want to I understand it as well. I want to th- look at it and go, hmm, 
yeah, I don't understand this. Or I'll read a piece of script and I think, oh, well, I can see what happens there. Then an actor delivers it and I go, ooh, mm. why? Why did you do that? Because I want to learn yeah. as well. And I know that's... Um, there's a lot of directors and I think sometimes they're trained like this. And sp- particularly if you've got very short um, rehearsal periods and stuff like that, but they don't ask the questions. They're the yeah. font of all knowledge. They need to do it. They're, and um, I think as the years I've got better at being much more laid back about it whereas before I had to prove myself I had to do this but by working through so many students in drama school I realised that they have to have a thought process and their thought process if I've got that already I sometimes impose it so now I don't it's like demonstrating isn't it (gasps) you're saying I want you to deliver it like this and it's sometimes that's not how it's organic is it really and also sometimes when you deliver it that's you my favourite saying is you know if there was a hundred Ian Goods up there it would be fabulous (laughs) <laughs> but it would be Ian Goods and you're not Ian Good and you could never be as good as Ian Good <laughs> but you could be as good or even better as you yeah. and that and that's that's the excitement I get really and it's difficult because I think at a lot of colleges they have to please yeah. and it's all about pleasing because it's all about marks it's all about it's education it's, yeah. it's what you've been through since you were tiny is that you know, you have to get the good grades. You have to get the good marks in order to succeed further. And some people grow with that. And that's fabulous. You know, there's a lot of them grow with that. And I'll not mention any schools, but a lot of schools, they really grow with it and love that. But it's funny. It's only in the last sort of eight or nine years, I've met students who I worked with a few years ago. And, you know, they, it's on the verge of abuse. They say, oh, I was abused there. It made me feel this and made me feel that and it made me feel that. Not a physical abuse, but a no. mental abuse. And the thing is, I don't know if that's the college or that's them or what, but, you know, they, they just they just say it in a totally different way. Well, there's a line between putting down discipline and a, their standard and not being able to do what you feel is right within yourself. Yeah. And also, if you don't think, if you don't follow that line, it can be abusive. You know, because you're saying, well, I'd like to challenge that. And they go, well, no, you can't. And if you do challenge it, you're known as a troublemaker. Mm. And if you're a troublemaker, that makes life difficult and all that kind of stuff. Um, But I'm I'm not saying, you know, that's everywhere, but it's just some people say it like that. But it's like ordinary education, isn't it? You know, that happens. Some people excel on it. It's funny. I went to a school in Newcastle for a while. I I left after a while called Benfield Comprehensive. And and it's funny on Facebook, they've just had this thing where there was a picture of Benfield. And I put, I hated this place. But the amount of people who come, oh, I had such a good time there, and this, and this, and this teacher, and this teacher, you know, and the teachers that they absolutely love are the teachers that I absolutely hated. Mm. You know, I hated Mr. Jones, who was the head of um, PA. He made me run away, run away. I ran away when I was 11 to London. And I was I, I was there for a week before they found me. Well, how, how, how does that happen? How did you get there? In the olden days, just after the war, <laughs> they used to have these things called post office savings books. And what right. you used to do is every Monday you used to bring a little bit of money in and your teacher would collect it and put it in your book, right oh. in your book. And um, I did that. And then one, one day I just cut, I, I was so terrified. I went to the post office. I knocked the woman up, I can remember. And I said, could I have all this money? I don't know. Are you sure? And I said, yes. He said, um, oh, your mum re- or your dad should really sign for this. And I said, oh, I, I'm sorry. I forgot about that. But do you mind? And she said, she did. So she got the money. I went to the Newcastle the Central Station. I bought a ticket for London, got on the train. It was the day the country turned decimal. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And that was, that was just a week down there? A week down. And I went to see two shows. 
<laughs> one a Daddy LaRue show at the palace. <laughs> um, I can't remember the other one. And um, and I slept outside. And then it was a bugger because um, I went into a shop and uh, somebody thought, oh, are, you, are you with anybody? And I said, um, no, I'm just, just having a look. I said, oh, really? And the next thing I know, there was two policemen there saying, uh, mm. can we just ask some questions? Right. I, I wasn't nicking anything or anything. No. And um, that was it. And then they took me back to Newcastle. You must have been quite streetwise, even at that age. Not really. I think I was stupid. <laughs> you know, I, I was literally stupid because the thing is, nothing scared me then. Yeah. Now, everything scares me. <laughs> but, but then nothing scared me. And... Um, Really, from that moment, as I say, I must have been about, I must be coming up to 12, I think, because I just started secondary school. I realised that I'd, I'd moved to London. And when you when you properly moved to London, was that when you trained? Yeah, and I've never been, I've never left it since. And where did you train? Drada. I did um, the directing course, which doesn't exist anymore as far as I know. Right. I know. But um, it was it was really interesting because you did all the acting courses and all that kind of stuff as well. So they, they were tied in together. Yeah. Oh yes, 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 yes. Uh, because it was it was sort of an add-on, right. like an MA, but it wasn't an MA because then there wasn't any qualifications, mm. and it wasn't until after I'd done all that that I actually got my qualifications because you know I thought if I was going to direct drama schools, I needed the qualifications. Yeah. And was that always a target from a, an early age to direct the drama schools? No, or? but it was um, a way into getting better. Mm. You know, because you were tr- practicing your skills with a whole set of people who were really, really inventive and exciting to work with. Yeah. How how do you go from directing course to um, fully fledged performer, musical theatre performer? When I first came out of college, I went to, I'm not to say the theatre, but I went to a theatre <laughs> as an associate director and I uh, was there for a year. And I, I was having a good time. And the guy who ran it was brilliant. Um, and uh, But I wasn't very good. And that was me, not them. And I was just thinking, oh, God, this is, I'm not very good at this. I knew all the intellectual part of it. I could understand what was going on. I could pull a piece of script to pieces. Mm-hmm. I could analyse a piece of script. I could tell you where in Middle England that came from. All of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't particularly good with actors because I like them. I, some directors just don't like actors. <laughs> they're, right. they're, they're an inconvenience. They get in the way. You know, they, they, they don't do your picture. The director who was there just said, well, um, I think you're wrong. Uh, and you, you're producing some really, really good work. But if you feel like that, why did you go away and perform? And you did the, you did your performance courses. Try that. So I did, and I, I got an agent. And from that agent, um, I, I explained what was happening, and he said, "Well, let's just see what happens." And luckily, I got um, a tour of Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah. And um, my God, did I work me, me bits off there. Uh, and I, I was on road for nearly two years with it. I was going to say, you'd done three different productions I did. And then I did the international tour of it, um, which was lovely. And then I did the first rep production of it ever for a guy called Michael Winter, right. um, which we took over in three days um, because the guy who did it fell out. And I'd already done it by that time, so I took over there. So I did the international tour. I did two years on the road with it yeah. in here. And I did the... Um, the first rep production of it. And how how did you find that as a piece? Did you enjoy? Oh, I love Superstar, yeah. I, and I always did. I, I'd seen it at Newcastle Theatre Royal <laughs> <laughs> as a kid. They go, oh, oh, lots of smoke. Um, <laughs> I like this, and um, so that was really interesting. And then from that, I picked up bits of telly um, and stuff like that. So I, I became a job in actor, really. And touch wood, I did. I did quite well at it. But all the time thinking. This is not really what I want to do. This right. is not really what I do. But it was fascinating because it was great to see uh, an actor's process. Yeah. 
which I knew, but having to be on the other side of it and the terror of it was really good. Um, to understand that going for the first day of rehearsals and actually pooing myself because I was so scared. It was great. Auditions and how pe- some auditions were absolutely fantastic and people were really nice. And other auditions where people were real shits. Yeah. And not even looking at you or having a conversation. And I know, you know, I've, I've heard myself say this to students as well. Don't worry, you know, they might be talking about you in a positive way <laughs> and stuff like that. But to actually just sit there and watch somebody and smile, I just think it gets the best out of them. And that wasn't happening. Right. But all the way through that, I was doing bits and pieces of directing and stuff like that. And um, Paul Saby, who used to run the musical theatre course at um, Mountview, I went up for an interview and he said, um, what do you know about old time music hall? And I said, lots. Mm. Because I was always interested in that kind of stuff. And he said, um, and my nana used to like those songs. So I used to sing those songs. <laughs> so um, he said, we'd like you to come do an old time music hall. Would you be do that? But it's with the acting course because we don't have a musical theatre course. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. And because I used the process of what I'd learned about me and all that kind of stuff and all the, uh, the skill of um, putting it on, but also the old-time musical element of it and all the songs that they'd never heard of before. Mm. And I loved it. And then from that moment on, I worked at Memphis. Yeah. So that was that was the deal, basically. Before we um, kind of move into directing a little bit further, do you have a show that you've you performed in that is the closest to your heart? Would you say it's Superstar? Or? The best time I ever had, best time I ever had, was in Plymouth. We did Cabaret mm. and we did The Music Man. And um, it was a guy called uh, David Kelsey, who's dead now, bless him, uh, a man called Martin Waddington, who still MDs. I think he, he's worked on the postgraduate course at Guildford, Gil, Gil, yeah, Guildford, who was a fantastic MD. And a couple of um, different choreographers, one who's dead and another one who's still on the go. And um, the reason I loved it so much is because it was exciting. The audition was amazing because obviously Cabaret was a, a dancey audition and I'm not a dancer, I'm a trained actor. And um, the guy said, oh, yeah, but you persevered. God, you persevered. Because I wasn't getting it all right, but I was at the back and I never gave up. Mm. And so I got that. And because of doing Cabaret, which was a fantastic experience, a fantastic company, and working with some real... There's a woman called... Sorry, I'm out the no, way. There was a woman in it called Ursula Smith, yeah. um, who I don't think she works anymore. But, God, I used to stand in the wings every night and just watch her. Uh, and I was really lucky because what happened, um, they had a guy who was playing Ernst Ludwig, who they got rid of. And I was playing Max, who, were, who owned the... And there was nobody else to stick. said, so David Kelsey said to me, will you take over as um, um, Clifford? So, um, not Clifford, um, Mac. No, hold on, Ernst. <laughs> I was playing Max, but I, Ernst. And I did, I did that, and I had such a good time, and I was working with some really, really good people, and the company were fabulous. And then, just on the last night... David came around the dressing rooms and he was saying, would you like to come back again to be one of the quartet in The Music Man? Right. And I said, oh, I'd love that. And once again, it was such a, a really good period of my life. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I loved Plymouth. Theatre there was fantastic. It was when they, it was the old rep, so they had huge wardrobe. Uh, when they made suits for you, mm. which they would never do anymore, you know. Yeah. And you just say, oh. And um, in cabaret, you know, you had your tap shoes, you had your patent leather shoes, you had your... It was just, oh, they really looked after you. <laughs> and, funny enough, I keep in touch with some people who were in that still today. Now, I'm talking to you, that was just after the war. <laughs> um, 
and all that. But while I was there, we also did other bits and pieces. You know, we did a concert in the bar. We did it. So it was all those. Now I would sort of help with those. And so it was a, it was a good period of my life. Outside of London, um, a question I've asked quite a few people. Where would you say is your favourite place to perform? I love national tours. Right. Because you learn a little bit about everywhere where you go, you know, mm-hmm. and you can say, "Oh, this beautiful like York's a beautiful city," uh, and I directed at the um, the Theatre Royal there, which was lovely, a really nice theatre, nice crew. Plymouth were fabulous, mm-hmm. um, nice theatre, nice crew, and all of that. Ca- uh, Malvern yeah. uh, Festival Theatre is absolutely fantastic, and it's funny since doing those tours, then going back to direct things there. You know, some people are still there, some people aren't, and yeah. it's, and it's. You look at it in a different way. Like Malvern, I did a, a panto there. Um, and the crew were amazing. Mm. Absolutely fantastic. It was a really nice experience. The front of house were lovely. And all of that. So everywhere, basically. I think I think travel of all kinds is opens your mind, even if it's just around the UK. And I can't understand. Some people just travel there. They go to the Diggs Theatre, Diggs Theatre, Diggs Theatre. You know, yeah. And I'm not saying you know, travel for miles, but at least get out and see it a little bit, you know what yeah. I mean? And also get to know it a little bit. It's, and it's very funny because uh, I'm going back to Australia later this year, which I've done quite a bit at. And I love going there, especially Brisbane, because I know where I am. Right. And I can walk over a bridge and, oh, no, I'll just go there, there, there. And I get really excited about that. And it's the same with New York and all those places. It's You might never have lived there, but you know the city a little bit. Mm. And I, I find that quite exciting. I think I think it's also good on stage as well. Mork- the classic Morecambe and Wise, where they talk about going to Glasgow, and that it was so silent, and the stage manager saying, "Oh, they must like you. They haven't thrown anything." Exactly, and all the audience. But I think that's the exciting thing, and I think some performers don't understand that everywhere is different mm. and every audience is different. And I find that quite exciting. Yeah, Ben Goddard was saying when he did Million Dollar Quartet in um, America, obviously a lot of the jokes go down differently because it's written with an American audience in mind. And I, I think it's the same with a lot of um, you know plays and musicals here, depending on what area of the world you are. It's like Billy Elliot goes down in a much stronger fashion up north than maybe it does in certain other areas. Mm. It's 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 hard, but pantos. Um, you know, I know people get very sniffy about pantos, but because um, I've directed quite a lot of them uh, and been in quite a lot of them. But the situation is there is you, they love the reference to an area. They love that, you know, you pick out the Chavi area and you pick out the very posh area and you mention it. And they love it. They absolutely love it. And yet it happens every year. <laughs> but that's the, uh, it makes it relevant for them. Uh, I did a panto up in Sunderland, Sunderland Empire. And um, I wanted the majority of the cast to be Geordies. Yeah. And they were oh, but, you know, it's Aladdin. And he said, but why not? Why can't Aladdin be a Geordie? And why can't the princess be a Geordie? And why can't PC Pong be a Geordie? And why can't the dame be a butcher? You know, and all of that kind of stuff. And the other thing was, it was really lovely because it was mainly people who I'd taught being on stage with them as yeah. well. And it went down a bomb. We got really, really good reviews. Good publicity for the theatre because it was a Geordie cast mm. or locals. Yeah. But on top of it, it was just sort of, nobody questioned that Aladdin was a Geordie. <laughs> yeah. How, how has it been for you to um, direct and perform in the same thing? Like, do you, do you think it, it creates a different dynamic for you personally? You've done pantomimes where you've just been a performer, or you've been a director and a performer, and just a director. Yeah. How does it? How does the dynamic differ for you each time? It's hard. You, um, 
performers, and I say I love them, but they <laughs> but they need time to bitch about you. So when you direct, I, I you know, I'll go out for a drink with them, but I'll not hang around. I'll let them have a bitch, and then the next day they come in and they're much better. It's it just that's just the way it is. If you're in a panto, it's quite difficult. Also, I think pantos are a very unreal situation because you've only got ten days. Mm. Uh, you've got to get it on. Uh, you're in it. You're out of it. You're in it. And sometimes that works if you've got a good choreographer and a choreographer who understands the genre. You know, I worked with a, a woman called Sarah Louise Day, who I did two or three pantos with. She was fabulous because we were interchangeable. Right. So the thing is, if I was on stage, she'd, she'd look after it and stuff like that. But if you can't trust the choreographer, because some choreographers, it's all about them rather than about the show. Um, and I've worked with a couple of those. Um, and the thing is, because I'm incapable of keeping my gob shut, I'll actually, <laughs> I'll actually say things like, you know, no, that's awful. Or, and I've had some that will stab you in the back as much as look at you. Mm. Uh, then that's when it doesn't work. So, I, you know, you really need this elusive thing called a creative team yeah. within that, mm-hmm. you know. And I've worked with, in, on Panther, some amazing creative teams. What? Amazing and lovely people. Mm. And I've worked with some bastards. What <laughs> makes good collaboration in that sense for you? Conversation, understanding what we're all about, willing to talk, talk through things. Okay, I am not a choreographer, but I can see something and think, well, can that be spread out a bit or can that be a bit bigger? And for that person not to go, oh, well, actually, I'm the choreographer, mm. uh, which I had with one person, uh, who was quite interesting because I was also he was also um, a student. Right. And then he went on to do this. And I think he, there was other elements there, which was such a shame. So if, it, if it, I think collaboration is, you know, sometimes the director just has to sit back and let the choreographer get on with it. And then at the end say... Not to the whole company, but to the choreographer. I really love that. I really love that. Can we clear that up? Or that doesn't work. Or it particularly happens with people who have done it before. So, for example, I worked with a choreographer on Full Monty once who'd done it before. So everything. Oh well, she, he should do this. Yeah. And I say, but why should he do this? He say, oh well, it's funny. And I said, well, that's great. If he finds that, that's absolutely fine. But if not, leave it for a while. And then I turn around and they've told them to do it, which is funny, but it's not them. And that's hard. That's hard not not for me, because I can just say, no, don't do it. But for them, if they've done it before, it's very, 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 very difficult to change that. I think that's the thing of directors in residence, a lot of directors in residence. Some of them are fabulous because they... I, I could, I've been a director in residence. Right. I did Hairspray, and I couldn't do it again. Right. For lots and lots of different reasons, but I couldn't do it again. But some people love it, and they're really, really, really good at it. So let those people do it, because they're really, really good at it. Mm. So when you start a directing process, uh, you get offered a, a certain show. There's obviously an image in your head when you first get offered something. How do you then go about putting it into practice? I read it about three or four times before I talk to anybody. If I'm giving a creative team, and a lot of places, a lot of drama schools, you're given, you know, you don't have a choice. Mm. I then meet up with them and say, oh, you know, you know, what, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? What do you think? What do you think? I, I think this, I think this. And, and, and at least open that that discussion, basically. Yeah, yeah. The thing is also working with drama schools, it's difficult because you're given a cast on a lot of occasions. Mm. Some you audition for, but a lot of them you're given. And I think... On the whole, that's quite good at times because it means that everybody's given a fair share. Mm. But at the same time, the process for some of them is you go and audition. But that sometimes means that it's always the same. People get always the same parts, which I can understand because that's how the business works. But it is a training environment, really. So imagine if we were to say there was you had a free casting, you could pick whoever you like. What would your advice be to actors who are coming in to an audition for you? 
this is hard because it, I find it really difficult. But you've got to you've got to just believe that they really want you, because the thing is, they do. You know, they want you. I, want that. I really want somebody to be good because it makes my job much easier. If I've got six people who are really, really good, it's much easier than you know having fifteen people who are really rubbish who walk into the room. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I want them to be good. Also, I want to see if there's any connection there. You know, just a conversation. I never sit in the middle. I always sit on the edge of the table. I always get up and say, hello, how are you? Nice to see you. What are you going to do for us today? Because I know how scary it is with with a panel just sitting there going, right, next. And I know you've only got five minutes to do it, but I think you can be at least courteous of that. Absolutely. And, you know, I have been told off for that by a casting director who said, we haven't got time for all that. And I said, but we're not going to get, but we're not going to get the best out of them unless we left we say that. And yeah. um, but you know they never understood that. The other thing, as I would say, is if the, if they've done the preparation, then I should at least for that five minutes of my life just give them the full attention. Mm. And they've done it. They've learnt the song or whatever it is. Maybe they do the same song every time, but I don't care. They've got their act together. They've got their asses out of their beds. They've got got on a bus. They've come in and they're sitting outside the room. They've come in for five minutes and they're left. See, in America, I've done a couple of things in America, and over there, the actors at the end of it say, oh, thanks for the workout. And I thought, what's all that about? What's, that? what's all that about? And they, they see an aud- as audition as a chance to perform mm. and make some contacts. And that's great. We don't see that here. Have there ever been any moments in auditions where you are truly enthralled by someone? Oh, God, yeah, a, a lot, a lot, a lot. There's a, God, there's a lot of really, really talented people. Mm. And they don't all come from one from one drama school. They yes. come from all over the place. <laughs> and also that the whole idea is, you know, they, they come in and they're they're exciting. You think, oh God, they are amazing. Oh, they've got an amazing voice and they've got a personality and there's something behind their voice. You know, because a lot of them are really, really good singers, but there's no nothing there, you know. Um and also they're interesting and interested, mm. which is really, really good. You know, and you say, um, you know, uh, why did you pick that song? And they go, well, I did this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and I thought this was this. And you think, oh, okay then. Yes. Yeah, you're yeah, thinking. You're thinking. Whereas some of them will come in and go, I say, why do you think, why did you? and I ask, why did you pick that song? A lot of, not because I'm being critical. No. Mind, sometimes it is. <laughs> but, you know, I'm just going to say, why did, you, why did you pick that song? And they'll say, oh, I always do that song. And you think, okay, oh. thank you for all the time you've spent of thinking about this. You know, and that's fine because I, you know, some people who I know who are really good mates say they, they only sing two songs mm. and those two songs have got them jobs. So, you know, it's all of that business. But I think the exciting part for me is seeing them, seeing them be really good. There's nothing, it, it's very strange when people get jobs. I am really, really, really chuffed, mm. especially ex students. You know, I just think, oh God, that's great. And, you know, I go and see them. It's funny, I went to see Company before I went off to Abu Dhabi, I'll mention. Um, and and <laughs> I, right yes, on. but I went off to um, to see Company and there's a, a, a student in that who I haven't seen for 20, 25 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a friend on Facebook, but he, he's, he's not a big poster on right. Facebook. And um, I just sent a message to him saying, I thought you were really, really good in that. And he sent me a message back, which was absolutely lovely and made me smile a lot. And I just think, isn't that great? Mm. Isn't that great? Because he, he, he was good in it. And you, you were part of that process somewhere down the line. Somewhere down the line. And that it, must fill you with joy. And he did say nice things about what, what we did. There but, you go. But it was sort of, um, you know, oh, that, isn't that lovely to say? And I'm really pleased. It's like also somebody I do who I did Panto with uh, about three years ago has just, I can't say it because he, it's not been announced, but he just said, oh, I've just got this. And I'm just... And, 
it was funny. I, I, I really, really was happy about it. And he wasn't an ex-student. It was just somebody I worked with who was a nice person. Yeah. And because of that, I'm overjoyed with it. But I think that's very difficult in this business. A lot of people are quite, um, why have they got that and I haven't? All of that kind of stuff. You know, it's, um, and maybe that's a bit of the makeup. I don't yeah. know. So um, if I was to ask you to, the directing project that you feel was, well, there's two. So the one that's closest to you. Mm-hmm. And the second one is, which one was almost perfect to the original image you wanted? Um, oh, God, that's a hard one. Um, I can't answer that in lots of ways. There's lots of different ones. I've directed Jesus Christ Superstar quite a lot, because I know it quite well. And what I enjoyed about that process was doing it totally different from how it was directed when I did it. Right. Not because that direction wasn't good, because that direction was good and, yeah. and it worked as a show, but reimagining it and looking at it and stuff like that. But I think sometimes the musical or the reinvention of it becomes about the director's imagination rather than about the content of the show. And I always think that it, it must go back to the content of the show and depending on where you're doing it. So, for example, at a drama school, it should not be about me. It should be about the students and showing them off and introducing them into an industry and a process. Yeah. Uh, professionally, it's difficult because sometimes it's about just getting the show on. That happens a lot with pantos. But to make it... Because you really, you're putting on a full-scale musical in 10 days. Yeah. And usually, with the managements I've worked with, they give me people who have never been in a panto before. So, right. so you're also teaching that panto element as well. Mm. And then other times, if you've got a proper rehearsal period... I did Blood Brothers in, in uh, Australia... And that, for me, it was a a five-week rehearsal period, which is a luxury. And what was brilliant about that is I went in with images, but I didn't know what I wanted. When I saw the people, because that was given to me, the cast, because obviously I was in England and I arrived and started rehearsing. I, you know, had CVs and bits and pieces like that, and I scouted bits and pieces. But that was it. I found I was really excited about the process because they'd never seen all the rest of the tours. Yeah. They'd never seen the, the Kenway tour, which, which you know, some fantastic people gone through. Mm. They'd never done any of that. And um, for me, as soon as that happened, it was really exciting because the thing is, oh, right, okay, let's create something else. And we did. And it worked and it was brilliant. And within that, there was a couple of performers who just grew and grew and grew, which was really exciting and I found it really 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 exciting and it's funny I would say out of that cast I keep in touch with about 75% of them you know not every day but mm. but um, Facebook birthdays uh, yeah. the occasional message stuff like that mm-hmm. and um, I found that really exciting does that answer your question? yeah uh, I guess it was it was a special experience for you yeah it was and also it was the first time I'd been to Australia yeah. so that was it and I was loving loving life yeah. because I was loving Australia and Do I was you, loving the sun and all that kind of stuff you've recently been to Abu Dhabi working Abu Dhabi do and how do you enjoy the travel aspect of, of I love travelling yeah. I, I find travelling really exciting and also for this one Abu Dhabi it came out of the blue it was an ex-student who I directed when he was 17 and he rang up and said, would you be interested in coming there? You have to audition. So I went along and auditioned for an ex-student, <laughs> um, which was fabulous. I love that. And um, he offered me the job. I went over there. I worked with two, three actually, two um, women from the arts 
musical theatre course, one from the foundation course was it arts, yeah. uh, and I'd worked with all of them. I directed a showcase for one of them. I directed two shows in a project for one of them, and one I'd been in to do some classes, and. I got really excited, not only about because I was enjoying having a good time, because it was a good process, it was a friendly process. There was people there who, from all all areas, people who have had done lots of musicals in the West End, um, and one who an ex student who this was her first job, and all of those elements. Yeah, and it, it was um it was great, and also they looked after you, they treated you really well, which is happen, doesn't happen all the time, but it was yeah. great when it does. You got paid for it. How um, was an Emirati audience? The, well, this was a very difficult because it was an immersive piece. So right. what happens? It all took place in this beautiful place called the Louvre, which is an exhibition area, uh, and it's absolutely stunning. And it hasn't been opened that much. Yet. It, it, they built it where there used to be a desert, wow. so it's all that. But but still by the water, with all the cruise ships in the background. Mm. And um, this was, they just brought in a Jan Steen, or Stein if you prefer, uh, exhibition. It was very, very high profile within Abu Dhabi because it was the first time they'd had that there. And they wanted um, something, an immersive experience to learn that. So we played characters from the picture. So there was lots of improvisation, which was quite exciting. And it wasn't always the same. Though some people wanted it to be the same every day. They yeah. said, no, 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 you have to play from the audience. But really, the audience, all they wanted was photographs. <laughs> they, they, you know, they, they were there with their pictures. And they would push you out of the way to get in there with the cameras and wow. stuff like that. Um, but it was good. It was, it was really interesting. You know, we do three a day. It was like doing a three-act play every day. And um, no, it was good. It was really good. And then you come back and I, I start working at, um, at another drama school doing Legally Blonde. And, you know, that's just as just as exciting. And it just carries on, doesn't it, really? Yeah, until July and then nothing. But that's the way the business works. Yeah, I was going to ask you, um, what do you think the hardest part of working in musicals and theatre is? Well, I've started to love it now, but I, 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 st- I used to hate it, is the not knowing. You know, I've got lots of mates from you know who are teachers, who are whatever, and they know where the money's coming from every month. They also work in an industry, if they're teachers or work in offices or IT, where there's a progression. In this business, there isn't a progression. No, you start again. Yeah, you start again every time <laughs> you start again, and it's great because you know you, you meet people who are fabulous. They've they've been directors in residence, and then they've got on and they've got a, um, a show in this place and this place, and they've got this, and then nothing. But I think the biggest drop of that is realising that there is nothing. I think the big drop is when, well, I deserve this because I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. And the thing is, so what? Because that's how the industry works, you know. And touch wood, I'm very lucky because, you know, I've got a home, um, which is mine, uh, which is the outgoings are, you know, it's not cheap, but it's not bad. I live in London still. I still love London. Yeah. I know people who don't love it anymore and don't use it anymore. It's not that I'm saying I'm at the theatre every week, but I, you know, I go when I possibly can and I like to get about. I've got lots of friends who are in the industry, but I've got a lot of friends who are outside the industry. And I can choose when I spend time with either of them. And also my friends within the industry are usually wardrobe people, box office managers, mm. uh, composers, not necessarily the people who do the same job as me, because... I know a lot of people who are directors, actors, who I love dearly, yeah. but I don't want to spend all my time with them because some of them, I realise, would stab you in the back as soon as look at you. <laughs> and Sorry. others and others who are your best friends when they want something and then aren't your best friends when they 
they don't want something or when you want something and, and that's fine because yeah. that happens in every industry I think that goes back to when you were 11 at the Theatre Royal really isn't it you know you used to talk to the box office you used to be at stage door and chat to people all on Shakespeare Street and you know exactly. do all of that there was funny um, an ex-student put on Facebook the other day so I talk about a lot of ex-students I've got a lot of ex-students who uh, put, <laughs> put on Facebook the other day uh, he's working on Waitress at the moment right uh, he's a dresser and RuPaul had come in to see it. Wow. He was standing at the stage door and apparently RuPaul, he came past and he said, oh, you're RuPaul, oh, thank you. And he said, oh, I re-, and RuPaul said, I really enjoyed the show. And he said, oh, I'm not reading the show, I'm just addressing. He said, but that means you're part of the show, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. I just thought, yes. That's right. That's great. And I just thought, RuPaul goes up 50, I don't watch Drag, Drag Race, Race, but I just thought that goes up 50% because he, <laughs> he said that. So you started watching Pantomime at the Theatre Royal. When did you get into it? When was your first experience? When I was 19. And what did you do? What did you play? I played um, Widow Twanky. And up in Scotland, I was working for... Um, in those days, they had this thing called job creation. Right. Which was work, like a work experience then. And uh, there was a company called Dumfries and Galloway Theatre Arts Project. On tap theatre company. And they used to tour. I was given artistic director job there. Because wow. uh, I knew it was going to happen. An artistic director there was a very grand statement for not a lot really it was just you know I think he, I think I got two quid more a week and all that kind of and I directed one or two things we did an old time musical and we did a we did a panto and stuff like that yeah. and uh, I played Widow Twanky and it was great and you've never looked back you've... and I've never looked back I've, I've done lots and lots and lots of them is she your favourite? Widow Twanky? yeah no oh there's lots of them uh, Widow Twanky's you know the thing is it's difficult because some people are very very grand about it and, and people say oh you're very grand about it because you don't do Ugly Sister I've done Ugly Sister twice and I've hated both times right and then there used to be this very famous dame called Jack Tripp who um I just thought it was amazing because he played it as an old lady and I thought, that's what I do. I play her as... A, she's a bit of a gossip and a bit of a... Mm. She's a bit She's a bit naughty. You know, she's naughty but never rude. Yeah. And um, I met him through a friend of mine called Tony Adams who used to be in um, um, Crossroads and stuff like that. Who right. Was and uh, we went for dinner once and uh, Jack Tripp was there and he said, I've seen you play, Dame. You've seen me play, Dave. He said yes. He said, he said yes. You're you're very traditional. I said, oh yeah, yeah. He said, you you know, just keep doing that. And uh, I said, it's funny. I've just been offered ugly sister. He said, don't do it. Don't do it. You're not an ugly sister. But the money was good, so I <laughs> so I did it, and I hated it. Right. And it was the wrong thing to do, basically. And and I've cut myself out of work because of it, because you know people say, oh well, you know, it's, stay here do this do this and one of them was because I, I I was a resident dame for a while for six years and I did all the others and then Cinderella came along and they said we'd like you to stay to do Cinderella because so I did mm. and I just had such a bad time mm. so I don't do that anymore so what would you um you, you say makes a good pantomime for you the story I think the story has to be good and Roy Hood once said you know a pantomime should be that there's a man dressed as a woman talking to a woman dressed as a boy crying because they have to sell a cow which is really two people inside of it (laughs) and the audience can look at that and they cry because you know she's so upset about this she's worried about her son who's really a girl about this you know bag of old fur which two people inside of it really sweating and she's really upset because she's got to sell it at the market yeah. and said so that's a good panto <laughs> I love it <laughs> and I like Roy Hood um, 
what talking outside of the industry what is um some of the things that you're interested in or you you find you you spend your time doing when you're not doing theater the difficulty is with theater and i think that's and i think the mental health element of it it, it bring, comes into this it's really difficult when you're in theater to have interest outside of theater because if you're not doing it mm-hmm. you're looking for the work to do it yes. if you're not um if you're not doing it, then you're trying to meet up with people who might open doors for you to do it. Not to use them, but to, to say, oh, well, I'm you know, available on this. As well, At the same time, of not putting on Facebook, right, I'm available this year, what's happening? Because okay. immediately some people will change that. It will, will use that as, oh, well, that's interesting. They're not doing it this year. Um, but I've got a very close set of friends. I haven't got a family. A very close set of friends who we call ourselves the Sunday Lunch Club because when we were all working because they're all in theatre we used to do work you know because Sundays were the only day we could meet up and we would yeah. go to each other's houses and they're still my my my, my best friends basically yeah. and we like to cook so we'll cook and then we'll put the worlds to ride for five and a half hours and 16 <laughs> bottles of red wine <laughs> and all of that would be good I also love going to see the theatre I still have that magic of that but I I like going myself but I like going with people because I like to argue about it yeah um, I love the cinema I love reading um, you know I love some crap telly as well because crap telly is good because you'd, if you read a bit of a crap telly you don't, you don't think about anything else mm. um, all of that really Just you, you talked about the mental health aspect of theatre do you think well massive question the, the industry at it, as it is is not conducive to good mental health oh no of course not because the thing is and I know people say, get, get have a backbone, pull yourself together, you know, it's only the theatre. But a lot of people, it's rejection on a, on a major scale. And also rejection on a major scale on other people's viewpoint. Mm. So, you know, um, if you're auditioning, it's very, very subjective. Very, very subjective. You know, there's certain elements. When we, when I worked on Hairspray for a while and we auditioned, we had an open audition. <laughs> and, you know, like 300 girls big girls audition for it and they thought because they were big girls they could get the part and why not give it a try but the thing is one thing I used to say to them was listen just bear in mind that she wins a dance competition there's a clue in the title here dance competition and you've got lots of big girls who were very big who were fantastic but they couldn't couldn't dance yeah. couldn't sing but because they were big girls they thought they deserved the part and it's the same with directing sometimes you, you think oh well I could do that stand on my head but some things you're not or not for you. Like, I was offered rent last year. Mm. And I just thought about it. And people love it. And they go, oh, that's fantastic. But I couldn't think of anything new I could do with it for me. Mm. So I didn't I didn't accept it. And people are like, well, that's stupid because that you've turned down a whole set of work. And maybe I have, but hopefully, and I would like to think this, hopefully they'll say that, oh, well, at least he's honest about it. You know, that he couldn't find anything. Maybe I'll offer him something else. But I don't know if they will or not. I don't mm. know. I'm constantly in a state of learning. I think that's what keeps my mind together. Constantly in a state of learning. I want to learn from other people. Yeah. And once again, this in the Abida Abidabidu, um, there was a girl there who was off a foundation course. It was great because she was having a hassle. And um, she said, what do I do? And I just said, try such and such. And it worked. And then she was so grateful about that. But at the same time, that wasn't my job as a director because the director had given her those before. But yeah. it was a different... And, and I'd heard him say exactly what I'd said to this actress. But because she was wanting to succeed and wanting to please him, she wasn't listening. Mm. But because I was just an actor 
and in the cut and said yeah. exactly the same thing in maybe a different way. Exactly the same thing. And don't get me wrong, the director on the Abu Dhabi was was fabulous. He was really really good because he was very skilled and he was very inventive mm-hmm. and he used what people gave him and all that kind yeah. of stuff. But just because it was a different voice, and funny afterwards after I'd said it, I felt a bit guilty and mentioned it to him. He said, "Oh no, any help? Any help?" Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I, I find that be- maybe she's learned because I'd I'd learned that before. I think uh, as as a former student uh, working with you, I think and now be being a, a director and an actor and God knows whatever I can get paid for. Um, I think that's one thing I'll take from our time together is that we it's a, it's always a case of asking why and allowing permission for questions. Mm-hmm. It's it's like it's interesting to see how students and professionals feel like they for some reason there's a kind of block on asking questions well that's once again that is because they're worried in case they look as if they're questioning you i don't look at it as that i look at it as you know and i will say occasionally i would say i don't understand that question yeah or i don't understand that answer and 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 it's taken me a long time to realize that that's okay yeah you're not the font of all knowledge nobody is anybody in any position whatever they're doing is not doesn't know everything Nobody can be perfect because everybody's vision of perfect is different. Exactly. And, 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 and lots of people have progressed and, and just do very well and um, all of that kind of stuff. But it doesn't say that they're perfect and shouldn't be questioned. Yeah. And I think when, they, when they're questioned and they can't accept that question, that's when, that's when people need to... Well, that's when I start to worry. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because if they just well I'm not answering that question because obviously you should know what it is but yeah. I'm asking that question because I don't know what it is yeah. I'm not trying to challenge you I'm not trying to be uppity because I don't understand mm-hmm. there's some students who have and, and I'm sure they'll think the same with me they'll say oh that old bald fat bastard but um, <laughs> but, but the thing is students who have been absolutely horrible and, yeah. and t- to me you know what I mean? But because I was in the situation I was, I couldn't say, I don't like you because you're doing this and this and this and this. Yeah. And they've continued on into it. And, you know, they slag you off by the back and stuff like that. And, and that's fine. That's absolutely fine. And that happens everywhere. It's not just this industry. Oh, God, no. What worries me is the people who, who do it on these people's say rather than on track record and stuff like that. Or at least meet you to actually say, well, you know, this, 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 yeah. this, this. A lot of people will know you from your uh, TV exposure. Now, you've been in a lot of TV and film. Yeah. Um, including, uh, you did Evita. I did Evita, which I did three months on it for uh, 30 seconds on the screen. And I think I'm the la- the third last person to go up. Yeah, and how was that? How did you I loved that? it. It was, it was really lovely. Um, uh, one of the stars was excellent to me. And the other star was just a bit poo to everybody. <laughs> You know, so so it was all of that, and it, and and it was lovely, you know, and to meet Madonna and for her to say, "Oh, hello, yeah, nice to be working with you." Think, Me, all I'm doing is mime to a bloody opera singer, and you know, but it was fabulous. It was really, really lovely. I just going by how much work you've done in theatre. I'm assuming that's what you prefer to television and film, or I prefer theatre because there's a much more of a process. Television, I used to like, but I, I'm not particularly. I'm not fond of rehearsed play, and most rehearsed play is that now, yeah. where you know you learn the lines, you go to the studio and say, "Well, there's there, there, there. Don't look at those cameras and go." Yeah. 
And you do it. But I've done all those little bits and pieces, you know what I mean? And I, I think the first time I ever saw your face was on TV for the advert. Oh, yeah. And I did that for 10 years. And that was, and that was great. And, and was that just in the UK or were you seen around the world? Um, we did Europe. We, they tried showing it in America, but they don't understand cross-dressing in America. They thought we were transvestites. I guess we should explain what we're oh, sorry. talking about. <laughs> I, did a, I did a long-running commercial for Bounty Kitchen Roll. Not Kitchen Roll you have to do, because when you say Bounty Commercial, go... You want a grass skirt? No, no, no. <laughs> Bounty Kitchen, it was um, a, a campaign called um, Two Tough Housewives, which I suppose is a bit sexist in a way, but it was two guys with beards, no breasts or anything like that, but dressed as women. Right. And um, one was Brenda, who I played, who was uh, very good with kitchen roll, and they would wipe up and show it was strong and all that kind of stuff, which it was. It yeah. really was. And the other guy called Audrey, who uh, hers always went soggy and she got <laughs> but we went all over, over the place the first one I did was in South Africa wow. and that was really good and then we, we did Amsterdam and all over the place and then I did um, nearly 30 odd over the years and the same guy always playing against that's you. right because funny they started with a comedy duo who I couldn't remember who it was and they did one then they got another one and one of the guys got into trouble I don't know what happened oh. it was really strange and then we were the next set but they auditioned I auditioned nine times for it before I got it <laughs> and and then from then on they just kept kept us doing it because we knew what the product did we knew how to what they wanted and all that kind of stuff and it was fabulous and then um, a new paper company took over and it went to a company called Publicist and they decided they wanted it was costing too many for two so they went to um, One Sheet oh yes which is a guy which always one. always to me sounds like One Sheet <laughs> but um, and he he's the new person but I, I just saw one recently and they, they've they've changed the man but it's still One Sheet right oh shoot sorry <laughs> So, um, if you were starting in the industry today, what would be your advice to young performers now? If you want to do anything else at all in the world, do it. Do it. <laughs> if not, and you think that's a good, that's fab, but just bear in mind that you know, just get everything you can possibly get out of it. So, if you get to drama school, that's absolutely fabulous. And if you do that, get everything you can out of it. Don't spend your time mourning. Don't spend your time thinking, oh, I'm not good enough for this, because that's the case, just get out. Become an accountant. You know, um, I'm not saying accountants are bad. No. And all that, but that's the deal to do it. Get as much as you can out of it. Um, if you're lucky enough to get jobs, love every job. I stood in the wings of Panto about two years ago, and there was a, a dancer there who, very talented um, man, a good dancer and all that. And he was oh, God. And I said, what's wrong? He said, oh, I'm so bored with this. And I said, well, don't do it. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, don't do it. This is a job. You're getting paid for it. You're getting this. And okay, you might be bored. That's not the point. Find something new about it. Yeah. Find something that interests you in it. Because this is going to be, okay, you're doing two shows a day for 10, 10 weeks. Mm. But what happens when you get you know, a show and you're going to do it every night at eight shows a week? Mm. And he said, oh, that's different. I said, but why is it different? Oh, it's not panto. I said, are you getting paid for this? And he said, yeah. And I said, it's work. And that's what's going to happen all the way through your career. You're going to have to work. Mm. And the work is what pays the mortgage. In a hundred years' time, when they mention the name Ian Good... I'll be dead. Well, well, you never know. Um, what what would you like them to say or have associated with your name? Does it say, is this awful? I, I, I don't want to know. Because, right. I, because now... I, it's taken me years to understand this, but it's not really important what people think of me because it's their business, not mine. Of course. 
and what they think of me, if they like me or they hate me or anything like that, that's the deal. I would like them to think that um, I try to be as nice as possible and yeah. to try to do as much as I can for people. But the thing is, there's always going to be somebody who doesn't say that. Yeah. I have a phrase, take the note, bitch. Um, <laughs> and I used it for years and years and years. And other people have taken it up, you know, and, yes. and it's not just me. You know, I'm not saying I initiated it, but I use it all the time. Yeah. And um, it, it was very funny on a Panto site once. They, somebody said, does anybody know where Ian Good's on it for um, um, Panto this year? And somebody said, oh, he's in such and such. Oh, isn't that great? And then there was a few of them just said, oh, yes, yeah, take the note, bitch. You know, <laughs> he, he would only give that to people who he really liked at college and stuff like that. And yeah. from that moment, I thought, I don't need to see this anymore. Yeah. I don't need to acknowledge this anymore. If that's what they think, that's what they think. And that's a shame. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I would like to think, I would like to do good for people rather than do bad for people yeah. and for producers as well and for other people and, and that's the deal I would say on the other side of things in your defence that there is plenty of times where you've been quoted by me um, in directing in, in a positive light in things that we've discussed now that's not for you to judge either way no no no, no, no. but it's um, I, and I know that I'm not the only person who does that in their work and um, often for wanting to get to the finer details of things I think that would be if someone was to ask me in a hundred years time when I'm dead what what Ian Good represents to me I think it's um, somebody who has a, a strong knowledge of what they're doing and somebody who always wants to get to the truth and um, someone who I enjoyed working with um, uh, so what's next for Ian Good? Right. Oh, um, well, I'm I'm working at London Studio Centre at the moment um, with four a guy called Matthew Shaw, who I originally met when I was doing Panto, mm. and he was in the pit as an MD, and since then he's gone to build on this course at London Studio Centre, which I think is quite exciting because things are new. Um, every term you go in, there's something different. So I'm enjoying that. And I'm loving the students. So I'm doing that at the moment. And then I'm off to Australia um, again to work with a company called Understudy Productions, which is um, it's been going for about five, six years now in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. Um, and Melbourne is the big place where there's lots of going on in Sydney. Brisbane is sort of emerging, even though it's got some fantastic performing places and stuff like that. And I'm going to direct a thing called Yank, which was on at the Charing Cross Theatre, and I never saw, so I'm really pleased about that. Um, and um, I'm doing that as part of the Melt Festival, which is a huge festival, which takes place at the Power House, which is a power station, an old power station, which is made into three venues. Yeah. You go there by river, and wow. uh, it's just lovely. And because I've been out there, that's another place I'd, I just love to be, because mm. I know where everything is, and they do good coffee. And, <laughs> Priorities. Uh, yes, and uh, I'm just really excited about that. And also it's great because Paul Saby, who really started my career in drama schools is now out there yeah. and it's nice I'm not working for him out there but I'll be able to visit him so it, it's, it's on a different level so that's all of that uh, and that takes me till the end of July and then who knows who knows who knows any questions for me um, why do you do these podcasts um, I think they're a great chance to see and talk to people who have inspired me to start with that the ambition initially was just because I, I felt not that there was a gap in the market but I just felt like it would be interesting to hear people's stories the final thing is what is happiness to Ian Good? <sighs> happiness to me is doing a good job I know that sounds strange if I can't come away and say 
I did a good job there. Might have been perfect, but I did a good job. Um, I've just done a show with Tring, um, with 18-year-olds. They're all about to go into drama school. Uh, they were really, really disciplined. They were really fantastic. Um, and we did Thoroughly Modern Millie, and they did a really, really good job. And I was there for the first night, and I thought, oh, this is fabulous, but I need to give it a bit of time. So I didn't go for the, the next two performances. Then I went, and then only watched half of it. And on the last night, I went again, and I, I thought... I'm really like this. This is this is something I like, and I'd never seen the show, so I didn't know what it was about. It was working with really nice um, um, creatives. There was good production values. They spent money on the set and everything, and I just thought maybe this is what I need to do. More of this. Okay, I need to work professionally, but at the same time, working within with students who are coming up and doing all this, I get really excited by them. Keeps you young and strong. I don't know about the young bit, but, <laughs> but it keeps it keeps me going. We'd like to say a big thank you to Jared Page from Stagey Pagey for the artwork, Itan Epstein Music for our introduction music, Audio Jungle, and our podcast hosts, Buzzsprout. Any inquiries about the Behind the Pros podcast, please contact behindthepros at gmail.com. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and until the next time, thanks for listening.